Amen. Good morning, everybody. I want to say I'm encouraged by everybody's presence here today on a snowy day like today. Anybody have trouble making it in this morning at all? No? Pretty good. It was bringing back a lot of memories. I was actually talking to Pastor Trelore this morning. I remember as a little kid driving in uh, over from Durham. And um, it seemed like there were a lot more snowstorms back then. And they were all, like, up here. And I, I always loved those Sundays because it was the day you showed up to church and everybody was wearing their suits and dresses and giant snow boots. And I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Everybody's feet are comfortable for the first time all year. So, and I'm, I'm kind of disappointed by the lack of snow boots here this morning. But I am encouraged by your presence here, even with the, uh, the I guess, the Arctic conditions out there. I'm also very encouraged by the uh, music this morning. That was a lot of fun. Kids are always entertaining. Um, when I heard the Peewees were going to sing, my daughter included, I was uh, waiting for them to come uh, marching out with their little hats on, you know, and they didn't have those. And I was like, well, the ensemble's singing, so there's still hope. <laughs> and so I'm back there during the opening prayer, like, all right, come on, uh, sailor hats and nothing. And so I think we missed an opportunity with the adult ensemble wearing the sailor hats for their song this morning, but that's neither here nor there. But kids are always entertaining. I know that um, a, a lot of the, uh, the entertainment that I get to experience throughout the week has to do with my children. I know most of you know them. I have my five-year-old Evelyn and my little uh, um, almost three-year-old Charlotte. They're always, it's fun to listen to them talk. Um, my daughter, she's, my older daughter, she's in school now, so she's uh, picking up information and absorbing it and then passing it on, uh, on to me and increasing my intelligence. Like, um, I mistakenly used the wrong word for multiple octopus you know, not long ago, right? Like, uh, uh, you know, whatever, whatever it is. And she says, Papa, it's octopi. And so we're driving home from a church like, uh, that weekend, and, she, and I was, we were talking about if you could be any animal in the world, what would it be? And I was like, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of neat animals. Uh, you know, kangaroos are pretty cool. And uh, um, Evelyn in the back seat, she goes, Papa, I'd be an octopi. <laughs> and I was like... All right, we got the word of the day in, and then my a little one, Charlotte, my, my two-year-old, I see her eyes kind of going, and she goes, Papa, I'm going to be an apple pie. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so I've got my octopi and my apple pie, you know, my two little girls there. <laughs> Acts chapter number 27, now we'll talk about something important, uh, the word of God. Um, so I struggled uh, to pick three verses out of here with which... Uh, to introduce this story. Acts chapter number 27, um, I think it's a very exciting story. It's the, it's the story of um, Paul and his, his uh, journey, or his voyage rather, uh, to be brought before Caesar. If we were to look at Acts chapter number 26, we, are, uh, we have the story where Paul, in very great detail, shares his salvation testimony with King Agrippa and Festus. And he goes into great detail about how he was um, you know, one of the chief of the Pharisees and a very religious man, but was not following uh, God because he was uh, blaspheming Christ with his life. And so he gives a very detailed account of that. And he, he appeals, Paul appeals to Caesar for his life because there were a lot of people that wanted him dead. And so that, br that brings us to Acts chapter number 27. Paul is a prisoner, and this outlines his journey um, to Italy. And if you were here, I was looking at my notes uh, last, last night when I found out I'd be preaching today. I was looking at my notes here. Um, I preached a between five and seven minute version of this in November 2010. 
So I'm sorry if you were here that night. It's, it's ruined, okay? But let's go ahead and start in Acts chapter number 27. We're going to read a few verses here, and then i like to pray, and we'll get started with our message this morning. Acts chapter 20, 27, verse 1 says, And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus's band. And entering into a ship of Adramidium, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia. One Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. And the next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go unto his friends and refresh himself. And when we had launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, the city of Lycia. Lycia. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy, and he put us therein. And let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll begin. Lord, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the snow. Lord, I thank you for um, all the Christians and God, this Christian family that we have here today that we, um, we get to come and meet with. Lord, I thank you for all of them making it a priority to be in church today. Lord, I thank you for the privilege that we have to be able to meet together. Um, and uh, God, I pray that we would uh, uh, take advantage of that whenever we can. Lord, I pray that this morning that you'd be with Pastor. I know that he'd love nothing more than to be here with us. So I pray to God that you would heal him up and uh, give him and the doctor some answers. And God, I pray that you'd be with us this morning, Lord, and I pray that you would uh, you'd use me. Lord, you know my heart. Um, Lord, you know that um, I want to be used by you, Lord, and I, I ask that you would um, get me out of the way, Lord. I pray that I wouldn't say anything uh, contrary to what you want me to say, Lord. I, I ask that you would uh, give me utterance, give me the words to say so that I can be useful this morning. Uh, God, we also ask that you would uh, you'd meet with us, that you'd meet with us in a very real way. God, because if you're, if you're not here with us, Lord, we're just uh, wasting our time. So we ask that you would uh, speak to us, give us tender hearts to um, absorb your word so that it can grow there and we can uh, have changed lives because of the things we learn from you. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Okay, so here we have, uh, like I said, we have Paul and he's on his way to be brought before Caesar. And the, uh, the verses there, at first glance, can seem a little bit confusing. But what they are doing is they are leaving more or less what is modern-day Turkey... And if you're looking at a map, Turkey being over here and then the Mediterranean Sea, they are headed west. And they've adopted kind of what we could refer to as, a, as an island hopping technique. They are in a sailing vessel, and they are sailing from island to island. And if we were to continue to read these verses, um, we find out that they are sailing as, as winter is coming. Winter is now upon them. And sailing becomes dangerous during that time of the year. And the winds can be very dangerous coming out of the north and out of the east and can make sailing difficult. So what they would do is they would stay to the leeward or the, the, um, the opposite side of the wind on an island. So they kind of hide behind these islands as they're heading west towards Italy. And uh, they are, so they're, they're doing this. They're hopping between these islands. And if we look down to... Uh, let's look at verse 7. It says, And when we had sailed slowly many days, and were scarce come over against Snidus, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete 
over against Salmon or Salmoni. So they're now under this kind of an oblong looking island and they're sailing along the southern shore of this island of Crete. Verse number eight, it says, and hardly passing it, we came unto a place which is called the Fair Havens, nigh unto the city of Lycia. The Fair Havens is a small bay on the southern coast of Crete that still exists today. It's a kind of a shallow bay, and it, um, it offers protection from a lot of the, the uh, sea winds there, but when winter months are come by, the, the winds change, and even today it doesn't offer a, a lot of protection there. Um, and verse number nine says, and when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and said unto them, sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also our lives. Verse 11, nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. Verse 12, and because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart, depart thence also, if by any means they might attain Fenice and there to winter, which is in haven of Crete and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. So they wanted to leave this area called the Fair Havens and they wanted to make a mad dash to this next place to hopefully winter there because the Fair Havens was not going to be a safe place. And then we read the verses um, with uh, Brother Adam a second ago. We'll read those again. Um, let's go to verse 13. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurachlodon, and the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind. We let her drive. So here they are. They're trying to get to Italy. They try to make this mad dash between these two havens, this fair haven and this other, this other place, just to kind of batten down for wintertime. When they do... Here comes Eurachlodon, and it's this Eurachlodon is a storm. And I, I looked up uh, some of the root words behind this. Eurachlodon comes from a couple Greek root words. The first is Euros, meaning east, and Clydon, which means a northern billow, like a billow of a storm. So it's a northeast storm. We as New Englanders are pretty familiar with those, right? What are they caught in right now? A nor'easter, right? We know full well. Those always happen when we're going on vacation, right? They ruin our camping trips. Well, it's ruining their voyage here. Eurachlodon comes up. It's a tempestuous wind and just begins to pound their vessel. They are, they are, remember, they're on their way between these two, two safe areas, but now they get blown out to sea. Now there's no land in sight, and they are in fear for their lives. The Mediterranean Sea, even today, People, um, I, was, I was doing a little bit of research on this. After the date, December 11th each year, you do not want to be sailing in the Mediterranean Sea. The, uh, those, those Eurachlodons, those northeast storms, those billows um, cause a, a, a lot of damage and a lot of danger for even modern-day ocean vessels. In uh, March of 2010, so at the, the, the tail end of wintertime, there was a, an ocean liner like a luxury cruise vessel that was sailing through the Mediterranean Sea, and Eurachlodon came up, this, north, this uh, nor'easter storm, 
and they were 30-foot swells that came out of absolutely nowhere. It's like glass-like seas, and all of a sudden, here comes your oclodon. That ship got pounded so hard by these swells. The ship stayed together, but two people inside of it died. And that's with Doppler radar, that's with steel hulls, that's with you know, modern-day ship, modern ships. So imagine what these guys are going through in their wooden sailing vessel. And it's, uh, we saw that they got it from Alexandria, so it's, it's a cargo vessel. You know, no, no, no motors, no, uh, nothing but sails and wood. Um, the Mediterranean Sea is known for having storms come out of nowhere, and it has to do something with the arid coast on the, the uh, southern side of it and then the, the temperate zones above it. But even today, it's difficult to predict. In our lives, we are constantly hit by storms. All of us go through very difficult times. And I know the last couple of years has been particularly difficult. Many of us have lost loved ones you know, due, to, due to sickness of one sort or another. Many of us go through financial hardships on a week-to-week -week basis. Many of us go through um, relationship problems, broken relationships, broken families, thing that, things that sting us in the heart, things that make us feel like our life is going to fall apart. Maybe a, a, a child, a wayward child, things that just rip our heart out and feel like, feel like the storms of life are just going to knock us apart. And there's never any warning, is there? Or very rarely is there any kind of warning. But we all go through things, we all go through things like that. And it's not a matter of, are you going to go through a storm? Is your life going to go through one of these difficult times? It's a matter of when it's going to happen. Because it is going to happen. Many of you are in a storm right now. So if we can't predict the storms, and if we can't stop them from coming, we can prepare. And I, so I'd like to look at what these, these men, Paul, the soldiers, and the sailors, what did they do to get through this storm. Because we, if we were to read down to the end of the chapter, all 276 men on this cargo vessel made it through. It says without a hair being harmed on their heads. So, um, you know, that's, that's the good news out of this story. So I'd like to go through very simply over the next few minutes and um, see what they did to get through this storm. And hopefully it's something that we can apply practically to our lives to help us get through the next storm that we have. So number one, let's look in verse number 17. A few simple thoughts. Verse number 17 says, um, let's, let's jump back to 16 because we need that one. It says, and running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat. Verse 17 says, and when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quickstands, strake sail, and so were driven. The first thing that these men did when this storm arose is they strengthened the ship. They strengthened the ship. There's a, uh, a little phrase in there that we don't use anymore because we don't really need it anymore. Verse 17, let's look at it again. It says, and when they had taken up, it says they used helps. Using helps was a very, very common um, a, 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 a way of um, a, a technique 
that they would use in ancient vessels. You know, obviously today, boats that we have now, they're, it's generally a steel hull or a fiberglass frame of some kind, you know, one piece or several large pieces that go along the outside of a boat that do a really good job of keeping water out. Back in this day and age, um, ships were generally built out of long planks of wood. You know, how many of you have ever been to, uh, like, Mystic Seaport, been inside the boats, and you can see the long planks of wood, right? Or have you seen, what's that, uh, that boat that they dug up in England, or uh, the British Isles? It was like a Sutton Hoo. You've seen uh, pictures of that. It's just long planks of wood that run along a wooden frame. And so what they would do is they would take those long planks of wood, and they would overlap them a little bit. And then they would take uh, wooden pegs and they would peg those into the frame of the boat. And then often they would seal the cracks between that wood with um, pitch or tar. And that was very, very effective at keeping um, water out of the boat. And it was, it, was, it was very effective. And as long as the boat was going straight, it was fine. However, when a storm came and the waves were coming from the sides and those waves would smack against the boards, what would happen is they would begin to work their way apart, and it would start to form cracks in between the wood. Now, I'm no shipping expert, but I know that you don't want water coming into your boat, right? It's best to keep that on the outside. So water would start to come between those cracks. They developed a system called using helps, or you, it's also called frapping. What they would do is they would literally take a, a length of rope or chain, if it was a very large vessel, and they would wrap it around the boat. Just from, from, the, from stern to, to the bow, they would wrap that rope or chain all the way around, and then they would pull it as absolutely tight as humanly possible. And the, uh, the inward pressure of that rope or chain would pull those boards back together again and would squeeze those, squeeze those cracks closed. And it was extremely effective, where a lot of boats would always have their frapping chain or frapping, boat, frapping rope ready for when a storm would come up. So they're in this storm. The waves are beating the side of their boat to where it's starting to come apart, so they used helps. They used an outside source of strength to pull that boat back together again. Brother and sister in Christ, often when we're going through a, a tumultuous time in our lives, when we're going through the ringer, when the world is beating us up, when, when circumstances are driving us down and our life feels like it's falling apart, it's human tendency, or at least it's, it's Matt tendency, to want to go, nope, I got this all by myself. I don't, I don't need anybody else's help. You know what? No, you know, I'm, I'm a man. I got this, right? Anybody else guilty of that sometimes? I know I am. I, I want to I figure this out. I, my own internal fortitude, right? I've got this. And you know what? It's good to be a strong individual, right? It's good to be self-reliant. But when we're going through a storm and we feel like our life is falling apart, you don't have have to rely on your own strength to get through that storm. Look at, um, let's see, Psalm, I think Psalms chapter 28 is what I want you to look at. Psalms chapter number 28 and verse number 7. If you're a Christian, you have a heavenly Father who wants to be your help. Look at verse number 7 of chapter 28 in Psalms. It says, The Lord is my strength. <laughs> 
and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am, I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoiceth, and with my song I will praise him. Verse number eight, the Lord is my strength, and he is the saving strength of his anointed. When we're going through a storm, you know, we might want to, you know, like, buckle down by ourselves and say, no, you know what, I got this. I can ride this hard time out on my own. And we have, we have a God up in heaven, a Lord who is our strength, who wants to help, who wants to be, the, who wants to be those arms that wrap around our lives and hold us back together again. You don't have to go through it on your own. When you're going through a hard time, it is a great opportunity to focus on your relationship with God. If your relationship with people is broken or with your family is broken, if you're going through a financial struggle, if you're going through turmoil, strengthen your relationship with God and ask him for some help. Because that is where, as Christians, our help comes from. Not, not, my, not my own frame, not my, not my boat's frame. We, we need that outside help. We need that, that frapping rope. We need that chain. We need God's arms to help hold us back together again to get us through those storms. So when you're going through a storm, strengthen your boat. Strengthen your relationship with God. You know what? Set, set the, um, get your focus off the storm for a second and look to God for help. And I think often... We don't like to be a bother to people. Anybody else not like to share your problems often because you don't like to be a bother? I'm like that. I like to, I, I like to uh, it's probably my Irish heritage, I like to swallow all my emotions and problems because one day I'll die, right? And then they'll be buried with me, right? I don't like to ask for help. I don't like to admit I have a problem. Um, and sometimes we feel like we are bothering God because my problem is insignificant to him. Or somebody else has a much worse problem than I do, right? Like I look around and I think, well, my problem is not as bad as so-and-so's, so I best handle this one on my own. But being a dad has taught me a lot more about a father-child relationship and has... Um, let me understand that I am not being a, a bother to my father, my heavenly father, when I ask him for help. How many of you in here have children? How many of you in here like children? You know, and they're, like, they're a lot of fun to watch. They're, they're exciting. My uh, five-year-old, she, believe it or not, was small at one point. Now she's like six feet tall. But she, she used to be, she, uh, she uh, learned how to walk when she was, Lavana, what about, what about a year old, right? 11 months? 11 months old. That's an exciting time, and also very scary as a parent when your child learns how to walk, right? You're nodding your head. You know this. One of the reasons is, like, for whatever reason, furniture designers put all the corners at toddler head level. You know, it's like, it's on purpose. And, and so Evelyn, she's like me. She is very clumsy. She fell so many times learning how to walk. And then, to make matters worse, when she was a little bit over a year old, she began to learn how to navigate stairs. That was a horrifying time in my life. And I remember one time in particular, we were at a missions conference in Michigan, and, and the family's house that we were staying at, they had a set of uh, stairs that went into the basement, which was like 
20 steps long, straight down. There was no corner, you know, the wall to crash into if you fell. It was the longest set of steepest stairs I've ever seen in my life. And it opened right into the kitchen, like right by the kitchen table. Oh man, it was a nightmare scenario. <laughs> this is my, uh, my 14 month old girl trying to learn how to do, do stairs and here's this. So one day we're having breakfast and she's, uh, she's walking around and you know, the way toddlers do. And um, I, 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 I'm, as a dad, I'm constantly watching. I have long arms, which is a, a bonus because I'm wait, 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 uh, waiting there to catch her if she falls. Well, I'm watching her and I see her looking at that doorway. And boy, it's intriguing to her. Okay, let's get ready. So I'm sitting on the edge of my chair, and she walks right over to the edge of this abyss, right? She's looking, and as a dad, I want to know what she's going to do. There she is. My heart's pounding. She's on the edge. And all of a sudden, she turns and looks at me. She goes, Papa, help and she puts that chubby little toddler hand up like this. And so you know what I do? I hop up and I stick out my finger like that and you know, and she grabs onto it and then down the stairs she goes, you know, safely all the way to the bottom, right? Why? Because I'm her dad, I love her. I saw that there was a insurmountable situation for her I was more than thrilled to jump in there and help her with it. Um, what if I'd been sitting by the edge of the table and she says, Papa, help me. No! Get out of here with that. What are, you, are you kidding? I didn't, I didn't raise no, uh, you know, loser. Come on. You can, you know, it's only 20 steps. I can do that with my eyes closed. Watch this. You know, come on. You know, it's, the stairs over the neighbor's house are worse. You don't see them complaining, do you? Was that my reaction? No. Because I love her. And you know, I was so excited that she thought to ask me. That made my day. I was thrilled that she asked me, that she thought to ask her father. That is how God is. God sees us going through that storm, and he's watching. He knows you're in the storm. He's watching. He knows it's hard and that it's bigger than you because he's watching. But you know what he's doing? He is waiting for you to ask him for help. God is a gentleman. He is not going to interject himself into your situation without you asking. You are not going to bother him when you say, Father, please help. And he's up there. I've been waiting for you to ask me that. I am thrilled that you asked me that. I know that storm is huge. It's nothing to him. But I know that storm is huge. And we put that hand up. He puts that hand out and... You could be our strength to get down that flight of steps or to get through that storm, whatever the case may be. When you're going through a storm, strengthen that ship. Strengthen your relationship with God and use those helps that he is offering. We need to move on here. I want to be respectful of time. Um, so number one, they strengthen the ship. Number two, verse 18, a very simple thought. Acts 27, 18 says, And we... Being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they, what? Lightened the ship. The second thing they did was they lightened the ship. Remember, they're going through that storm. 
They now have the helps around the hull of that vessel to close those cracks. But evidently, the waves are still so big, they're coming in over the sides, over the gunnels. The ship is filling up with water. So what they begin to do is they start throwing things overboard. They are lightening the vessel so it's not as heavy and does not draw as much water. An interesting note we saw before in one of our previous, verse number six said this was a ship that the centurion found from Alexandria. If you know anything about um, your, your ancient history of this area, Alexandria was the commerce and shipping hub of the then known world. Um, any, oh, um, so like from Africa, diamonds from Africa were shipped through Alexandria, spices, from India that came up the, uh, the Nile River were shipped through um, Alexandria. The entire salary, the, the, the salary for the entire Roman army was shipped through Alexandria. They used to pay their, uh, their soldiers in salt. That's where we get the word salary. It would come through Alexandria. Uh, silks from the, from the Far East came through Alexandria. So the chances are whatever was on this vessel was of extreme value. Very important. And now, what are they doing with it all? Tossing it overboard. I can see the tears running down the face as, as a Roman soldier dumps a barrel of salt into the Mediterranean Sea, right? That, that, that barrel that was so valuable a few verses earlier. But now, their lives are in danger. They are just throwing it overboard. It's interesting how a storm or a, or a tumultuous time in our life shows us what's really important. You know, how, how many of you have a, a hobby that you consider important? I have a couple hobbies, you know. I have things I enjoy to do, I, I enjoy doing. But when, I, when my family is in crisis or one of my children is sick, I could care less about my hobbies. I could care less about those fun things that I get to do on the side. It is amazing what a storm will do to show you what is important. And when you're going through a, a, a storm in your life, a difficult time in your life, through, through a tragedy, it is a great time to take a look at your life and maybe purge some things that are simply weighing you down, that are simply weighing down your life. Now, it's important to note that they might not be sinful things. It might be something that's not a sin, necessarily. But during that current situation, it is, not, it is not serving any purpose other than taking time away from you, your family, your relationship with God, your, uh, your, your strengthening of that spiritual life. And it might be time to send it on overboard. And it's not fun. It's not easy. You know, it could be painful. It can be painful to let go of things that we put a lot of time, effort, and money into and that, that are very important to us. But often it serves us best to look at our lives and toss a few things overboard when we're going through that crisis. And uh, we've got to hasten here. Or, um, uh, so number, uh, again, number one was during the storm, they strengthened the ship. Number two, they lightened the ship. And then verse number three, or uh, point number three, let's look in verse number 21. Um, it says, But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me. So he says, I told you so. 
right? Back in verse number 9, 10, and 11. Um, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I, whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and, lo, God hath given them all that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Number three is listen to godly counsel. Listen to godly counsel. Or in this case, more specifically, listen to your pastor. Um, remember, he, he, he had, he had uh, given them some instructions early on in the chapter. You know, guys, I don't think this is a great idea to sail. They sail in anyway. And then around comes the verses that we just read. And here's Paul. He's standing up in the middle of the ship again. And he says, okay, God gave me some instructions. And if we read through the rest of this chapter, some of these, some of these uh, um, instructions might seem a little bit ridiculous to a trained sailor here. I, I want you to notice this from a, a, a couple perspectives here. First, Paul is standing up in this ship telling these men what to do. How many of you do not like to be told what to do? Especially if it's something you're good at, right? Like if you're an expert at something and Joe Schmo comes over here and tries to tell you what to do, all right, I'm going to put my fingers in my ears. So here's Paul. What is Paul in this chapter? He's a prisoner, yep. So he, he probably has chains on. What else is Paul? He's a missionary, right? He's a, he's a preacher, church planner, missionary. What, what was Paul vocationally? He's a tent maker. As a living, Paul made tents. So here is this prisoner, preacher, tent maker standing up in this cargo ship with 276 people on it of soldiers and sailors and saying, okay, guys, this is how it's going to go. How do you think that was received? I would think not well, right? I would imagine there's some guys like, what? Who does this guy think he is? What? You know, are we going listen to listen to Paul? You know, it's... And... Uh, that can be our reaction often. When we're going through a hard time, you know, we're going through a, a, diff, a difficult trial in our lives, and then we hear some preaching, or we ask to counsel with pastor, and he gives us instructions, and sometimes we're like, are you kidding me? That makes absolute, who are you to tell me? Right? Sometimes that's our reaction, and just like these, and remember, who is Paul talking to? He's talking to sailors, professional sailors. All right, men who grew up on the sea, you know? He's talking to soldiers, right? Professional soldiers, hardened men of war. I'd imagine there was a lot of pride that had to be swallowed here, a lot of humility that had to be shown for these men on this ship to listen to Paul's instructions. And to their credit, if you, and we're not, we don't have time to do it, but if you read all the way through the rest of this chapter, they do listen to his instructions, and everybody on the ship makes it to shore alive. And um, it's, uh, it's one of those things. It, it is very difficult to listen to instruction. Um, a quick story. My, uh, when I was a teenager, I used to consider, when I was a young teenager, like 12, 13 years old, I used to think myself a man of the woods. You know, I, I, I knew it all in the forest. 
And every uh, once in a while, I would call uh, the Reamers household to ask their oldest son, Andrew, to come hiking. And I would get my brother. And then I wish he was here today, but Steve Malberg, the four of us would, were adventurers in the forest. And if any of you know Steve Malberg, I really wish he was here because it, it, it'd be perfect. But you know, we, you know, me thinking I know what I'm doing, we're running up and down these mountains over these rocks. And Steve, if you know him, he's very analytical. Like he'll, he'll walk up, and instead of just running up the mountain, he'll, he'll, he'll survey. And then he'll, he'll plot a perfect path up to the top of the mountain. And when we get to the top of it, he'll look down the mountain. And we'll just go charging down it, and he'll go to the top of it. All right, this is the best way. And then he'll make his way down it, you know, um, you know perfectly. And he'll say, he'd say, guys, don't run down hills. Don't run down hills. So one day, we decided to run down the hills. And do you remember this? Andrew in particular. We're up at the top of this, this huge, like, embankment that's just covered in rocks. And so we go running down, and Andrew, he's out in front of us because he's so fast. He's running. And all of a sudden, you ever run down a hill, and all of a sudden your body starts going faster than your legs? Here's Andrew. He's running, and all of a sudden you see, oh, no, in his eyes. Uh, and then, uh, uh, and here's, he's, all of a sudden he goes shooting past us, literally flying through the air. There are boulders and rocks strewn everywhere. He, may, he, he lifts off. Here's, here's Andrew Reamers. And, and we're young teenage boys were, oh, no. He flies through the air. Boom! Lands right at the bottom, face plant, perfectly between all these giant boulders. The only spot of ground there was anywhere. He landed right in the middle of it. And here we are at the top. He's dead. He's dead. We know he's dead. Oh, no. Oh, no. He's dead. What? I don't know. Guys, guys, what do we, you know, we are terrified. And then so we go down, and we, uh, we get him up, and he's, uh, he's perfectly fine. Wind knocked out of him a little bit, but he's just like, oh, man. He's covered in leaves. And then Steve comes down, Steve Malberg. That's why I don't run down hills. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, so we thought we knew everything. We didn't want to listen to the expert. But had we listened to the expert, it would have saved us much harm and much loss. Sometimes it's hard to swallow our pride when we think we know what we're doing and listen to counsel, listen to our pastor. But God has given, given us, given us, Pastor Bish, as a man in our boat who God has special instructions for. And when you and I cannot see over the next wave in our next storm, and we ask pastor some counsel, pastor, how do I deal with this? I just don't know what to do next. And he offers us that godly counsel. It would be very, very wise for us to listen to that, and that can help us through the next storm. So in your next storm, strengthen that ship. Lighten the ship. And let's listen to pastor and his godly counsel.